So if you were uh, here last week, we kicked off a series on uh, the story of Jonah. And that series is going to be several weeks long as we look at uh, the insides and outsides of that, um, that story. Last week, we went through chapter 1. We looked at how Jonah ran, and we said at the end, the truth that was coming out of that scripture was that you can't run from God, that you can't get away from God. We saw that in the story. We also saw that God pursues us in our running. Even when we don't want to be close or near him, he pursues us. Um, and that was in the storm, and we saw that in um, the message of Jonah that he had for the Ninevites. But before we go any further into the book, I want to stop. I want to come back to the beginning of chapter 1, and I want to talk about the story and about the, the book of Jonah itself. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is one of the minor prophets, the um, 12 uh, minor prophets, and so they each had a, a book in the Old Testament, uh, smaller, smaller books than you're familiar with in some of the Old Testament books. But Jonah chapter 1, let me read that to you. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So last week, refresh, what do we know about Jonah? We know Jonah was a Hebrew. He was from the nation of Israel. He was a prophet. We know that he served the one true God. What do we know about Israel at that time? We know that that was a kingdom that was split. There was the north, and then there was the south. And, and, and they knew, though, that they were the chosen people of God. They were this mighty nation of Israel. But that in itself caused this arrogance in them. Because we, we are the people of God, right? We're better than everyone else. When, in fact, during this time, they were far from God. If you read the story, they're living in idolatry. They began worshiping these other images, these other gods. What do we know about Nineveh? We know Nineveh was huge. It was powerful. It was the, the, the capital of Assyria, this mighty nation. But it had a horrible reputation. It would uh, oppress the people of northern Israel. It was the capital of paganism, it said. It was a giant city at least 60 miles across. So it would be a three-day journey if you were walking it. And here's the story. God calls Jonah out of this nation of Israel and says, go to Nineveh. Go preach repentance. Go tell them that I'm not happy. But Jonah didn't want to go. Why? Because he knew that his God was a merciful God. And if he went there and he preached the message of repentance, and the people of Nineveh accepted that, well, then God would ultimately forgive the people of Nineveh, and Jonah didn't want that to happen. So... Jonah decides to run from God. He boards a ship and he heads to Tarshish, which is 2,000 miles away, if you see the map, 2,000 miles away from where he was supposed to go. But he wasn't going there just to stop, but he was going there because it was the main port of Spain. And that would allow him to get on a ship to go even further to the ends of the earth to escape God. Well, what happens? This huge storm hits, right? And the sailors on the boat, they're terrified, and they begin to pray to their gods, not Yahweh, but their gods. They didn't, they didn't know who the God was, and so they're praying. They want to know 
Whose God is making this happen? Why is he so angry to do this to them? And so they start praying. They're searching for answers. And they don't get any answers. And so they, they huddle together and they, they cast lots. And they realize that this is Jonah's fault. And so they go looking for him on the ship. And they say they find him sleeping. Scripture says that he was in deep sleep. And they wake him. They say, who are you and who is this God that you've angered? In verse 9 of chapter 1, we saw that Jonah realized who he was. And that this God was in here. That he was a Hebrew and that he served the God of heaven and the God of the sea. The God of the universe. And Jonah says, listen, you want this storm to stop? Throw me overboard. And that's his death sentence in that moment. Well, now we have the sailors that are already terrified of the storm. And they're like, we're not about to make this God any more angry, right? So plan A, we're going to row back to shore. We're going to drop you off and then we're going to be on our way, right? But they can't. They can't. And, and the storm gets worse and worse. And so they're like, we, we got to talk to God. And so they get together and they have this conversation with God. And they say, at least, God, forgive us for what we're about to do. And they throw him overboard, right? And the story tells us that this whale or this uh, tradition says whale or scripture, you, you read great fish. But if you actually research this and looked at the word in the Hebrew and Greek, what they use to define this and what Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 12 to define, you would find that it was a sea creature. With the, the head of a dog, this giant massive serpent that came and swallowed Jonah. So little little science for you there. So Jonah goes and he's swallowed by this whale, great fish, sea creature, swallows him. And he's in the belly for three days. And while in the belly of this, this whale, Jonah has some time to get alone with God, right? He's got nothing else to do. So he repents and he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to send me. And so this sea creature vomits Jonah up on the shore, right? And Jonah goes into Nineveh, and he preaches this message of repentance. He says, look, in 40 days, you're done for. You'll be overturned. The city will be destroyed. And what happens? Well, they accept the message. They repent, and salvation comes to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah is angry, right? Read chapter uh, 4. You're still in Jonah. Go to chapter 4. Verse 1. He says, but Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said? Didn't you hear me, God? I told you that you would do this. Lord, when I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, God, that you're slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah goes to the edge of the city. He's sitting on a cliff and he watches and he hopes for destruction. But instead they re receive salvation and he gets angry. He did not want this. It wasn't right for them to have this. And he's, now the sun comes out and now he's hot. He's angry and he's hot. And God then supplies a plant that grows and it provides shade over Jonah. And Jonah becomes thankful. But then the next morning God provides a worm. And the worm eats the plant, and Jonah curses it, right? He's like, Nineveh saved. I got sunburned, man. I would rather die than have these people forgiven and be this hot, right? And God says to Jonah, you care more about this shade than you do those people. And then the book ends, right? That's the story. Is that how you remember it? Is that uh, not so much the veggie tale version that we've all come to love? But we're told... 
that, and we believe that Jonah wrote this book himself. But there's a lot of debate on how to interpret this story. There are several ways this book has been interpreted. So I'm going to pull the audience real here, all right, real, real quick. And there's no wrong answer here. How many of you would say you would tend to believe that this book is literal? That from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 4, it's over, it's literal. It happens just the way it's written. How many of you would say that? Okay, all right. Nothing, no wrong. How many would say that it's prophetic, that just, it's a book of prophecy? It's just it's foretelling of the future. You can have the same answer twice. It's fine. Okay, none of you. All right. Historical narrative, that just, it's telling a story, something that happened in the history. And when anyone say, hey, it's a historical book? Man, some of you don't. The next answer better be the last one because that's all I got left. So, so you're like, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. How many would say this is like an allegory or, or a metaphor or just a parable that didn't really happen that way, but it's, it's, it's a story? All right, some of you didn't answer. I'm going to ask you now what you think it is. No, I'm just kidding. But So I know you wanted to raise for everything, but I would argue, I would argue that there's elements of each in this book. If you took the literal side, if I were to believe that everything happened the way that it was written, I would like to think that this was an act of God moving rather than allow science to try to explain it away. Because most of our debates with science, for me, proves the existence of an intelligent designer, not the lack of one. See, the laws of science can only prove what's inside the box. They can't prove or disprove what's outside of the box, right? If you were to say this is prophetic, yes, there are several pieces in this story that are prophetic. Jonah's message of repentance, right? It was a warning to them. Hey, something's coming. I'm prophesying here that in 40 days you'll be destroyed. Then you have the sailors asking for forgiveness for killing an innocent man. Where have we seen an innocent man killed before? Three days in the belly of a whale, and then three days he comes out. Where have we seen that? Prophetic, Jesus in the tomb. But is it a story of a prophetic journey of a prophet versus a prophetic story told by a prophet? Is it a story of the journey that a prophet had or was it a prophet telling a story that was prophetic? Historical. There is actual historical evidence of the city of Nineveh being destroyed. The cities uh, and stories about the city are true and documented. The city actually still exists. It's under a, a different name. Was this an allegory? Is it a parable? Is it a metaphor? Is this a dream that Jonah had, the dream that communicated truth? And so, so he's retelling this dream to communicate truth. We know that Jesus told parables all the time that communicated truth. There are scientists who would argue that someone could actually live in the belly of a whale for a certain amount of time. They're proving these things. But some would, some would say, you know what? If you read the story, maybe Jonah died and was resurrected. Did he die? Did he come back to life? Because in the verse, in chapter 2, it talks about this prayer that Jonah says, from the depths of the grave. And some uh, translation says the belly, the, the depth of Sheol, which, which is the place of the dead. This was the place of the departed. So he's praying from the place of the dead. It's the story that is the prophetic message, not the voice of the prophet. Okay, so, so what's, what's my point? What's my point? I chose the book of Jonah because I think this is somewhere or something that God is leading me into, and, and this is what it is. There are many theological debates that we can have about this story, 
and about other issues in Scripture. There are theologians who love God and follow God who, who end on this side of the debate. And there are others, theologians, that love God and follow God that, that end on this side of the debate. And sometimes we argue things and we debate things and search for things for the wrong reasons. And when we read the story of Jesus, I believe there is primary the theology and there is secondary theology. And I think often we spend and we waste a lot of time debating secondary theology. You see, all scripture is inspired, but not all, not all scripture is equal. When you read about the cross, that scripture holds a little more weight than some of the other things that we read. It's all inspired, it's not all equal. And I'm not talking about things that affect salvation through Christ. We believe that. These aren't things that impact eternity. What the message of the gospel truly is. But when it comes to certain hot topics or theological debates where you have theologians that are split. And not just some on A and some on Z, but all through A, B, C, I land here, I'm, I'm at L, I'm at, I'm at P, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at F. You line up at different areas, and here's where I land. I don't think I'll be the one who figures out which side of the debate is right. But I can look at reasoning, and I can prayerfully come to a conclusion. And as long as it doesn't change the primary truth being taught in the gospel. This is similar to what theologians refer to as the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And I'm going to put a picture on the screen here. This is where John Wesley, uh, the um, founder of the uh, Methodist um, religion, says that there is scripture. But there are other ways that we determine what God is speaking to us. And we use reason and we use tradition and we use experience. But those four things aren't all equal. We have scripture first and foremost. That is our main uh, communication from God. And then in there we take our, our, our tradition um, from the church through, uh, uh, through um, um, our experience there and, and with our personal experience uh, with what Christ has done in our lives. And then reason. God gave us a brain, so we use it. And we use these things to interpret truth and, and to develop our doctrine. So if we were to apply that to what we know about the book of Jonah, well, we know that there is prophecy that, is, that has come true. That's our experience. We know that. That's tradition. There's historical evidence that was documented. And there's a truth that is applicable then and at the same time applicable now. And we can't miss that. We can't miss the truth that is being communicated in Scripture. And so we know who wrote it. We say, Jonah, what type of uh, book was it? Well, it's several. It has several different elements of writing in it. Who was it written to? It was written to the people of Israel who were living in sin, deep, unrepented sin. We know at the time there was a drought which traditionally would say that God has removed his hand. War was happening all around. Maybe you see some parallels today, right? So you got the nation of Israel living in sin. God calls a man out of Israel to, to go into this land of people who were not God's people. They were Gentiles. They, and he said, go give them a message. Give them a message of hope. And Jonah didn't want to do it. Much like the disciples who fought over who the gospel message was for. Much like today where church people fight about who can receive the message of hope and, and how they're supposed to receive it and how they're supposed to hear it. But this is a story of grace. A story of repentance. 
and a story of forgiveness. And we realize that the truth that is being communicated here is that you cannot run from God. And that God's love extends outside of Israel. We know that God is in the storm and in the whale and in the plant and in salvation. We know that God is willing to risk your physical and material comfort to fulfill his plan. And each chapter in this story has God's movement all over it. And as we go through this series, you will see that. We'll see how Jonah in his free will to choose and how God doesn't usurp that freedom but allows him to respond. But the truth is, and don't miss this, this is primary theology. God is more concerned about his kingdom than our comfort. God is willing to risk our comfort, physical or material, to bring salvation to all people. There are prophetic undertones everywhere in this story. Some would say Jonah's character in this story represents Christ in a way. Because we know that Jesus himself struggled with this in the garden. He said, God, not my will, but yours be done. If there's another way to do this, but not my will. And this is the human infirmity that we all struggle with. We all have the weakness to follow the commands of God. We wrestle with our flesh. We say things like, he'll never use me. This is why I'm not going to heaven. I'm not good enough. And we beat ourselves up. We need to extend ourselves some grace in these moments. Where we are in life, where we've come out of, who we are now. It's a real spiritual struggle. And one of the greatest tools of the enemy is confusion and uncertainty. That way we focus on ourselves instead of moving forward. We struggle with accepting God's mercy and accepting forgiveness. That, that salvation that's moved to a repentant sinner of Nineveh. And God sent someone to share this, this hope, this message of the gospel. That even in your sin, God loves you and can save you. And then we have the repentant saint. We have Jonah. And this is us when we run and then where God pursues us in the storm. If God did not love Jonah, there would have been no storm, no whale, no second chance. God would have let him run. If God did not love sinners, he would have never sent Jonah to them in the first place to warn them, to share the message of hope. The sailors would have never have found God. And our greatest struggle is believing and understanding that the relationship between a graceful and merciful and loving God and the sinner that we are, right? We struggle moving forward in faith and in confidence in him. We want to go back and say, well, did he really forgive me for that? I'm not sure that his grace was enough for that. And this is where this beautiful interaction takes place. When a repentant sinner meets a loving, merciful God. And while we were yet sinners, it says Christ died for us. I want you to ask yourself some questions as we worship. Questions that you don't want you to ask throughout the series. Is will you seek God's truth in your life? What is the main message he's communicating to you? What is the truth he wants you to hear? What are you doing right now to avoid doing something that God's asking you to do? What boat have you jumped on? 
You need to repent and go. What is he telling you to do? Is there something in your past that God is calling you out of? You need to let go of that. Maybe for some of you, it's simply today a call to believe, a call to obey, to trust him. Why don't you stand with me? God, in these next few moments, speak to our hearts. Find us where we've decided to run, to hold on to the things of this earth, to let things in our heart block us from from letting you take over. God, you are our great God. And we want to walk in the promise that you've given us, this promise of new life. So today as we let go and worship you, find us. Thank you for being a loving and merciful God that pursues us in the storm and sends the whale and gives us this opportunity to confess and repent and to go. So today we worship you. You can uh, be seated. I want to um, end here and close with something. Um, this story of Jonah speaks, I believe, to our current current. Uh, culture that we live in. Um, in Jonah's heart, when I, when I read this as a kid, um, you know, it was a light, fun story. Jonah just didn't want to go. He didn't feel those people deserved it. As I grew older and I understand the story, I can't help but think that Jonah's heart was full of hate and full of racism. He didn't think the people of Nineveh deserved the message of hope. It was for him. He was God's chosen people. And that culture didn't deserve it, didn't need it. He didn't want that culture to be saved. And when we look at our present culture with the events that have happened so recently, we see hate and racism littered everywhere. And it's very easy as a church to hide in a bubble. That's what I felt growing up. We were in a bubble. We were safe. And ignore what's happening in culture. And when that happens, when we do that, Hate wins. Darkness wins. And the great Martin Luther King said that darkness cannot remove darkness. Only light can do that. And he followed it with hate cannot remove hate. Only love can do that. We're simply called to love God and to love others. And if we can't look at other people of color or culture and not see the image of God in them, and not see them as our brother. We're no worse than who Jonah was. We have a heart filled with hate, and we have to repent and confess that. God has called us to love people. We must do that. The only way to remove hate is through love. So I challenge you to do that, to live a life of that, to lead with love. Let me pray for us, God. We pray for our, our country. We pray for our world. Or we pray for our hearts individually. God, teach us to be people of love. People who want to share this message of hope with anybody. With a stranger, with an enemy. With the ones that are close. The ones that look nothing like us. God, teach us to see people like you see them. Teach us to see people that bear the image of God. Teach us to love, to lead with love. And it starts today as fathers, 
the way we love our wives and our children and those around us as we lead as examples. May the light begin to remove the darkness. In the name we pray, amen. Thank you guys. Happy Father's Day.